began talking about the Holy Spirit last Sunday, and we're titling this sermon series, Walking with God. Walking with God. Anybody here ever have the experience um, of um, being in a place where you had an opportunity to share your faith with somebody? Um, and it was maybe a spur of the moment, or it's somebody they've been praying about, and, and you were given all of a sudden an opportunity to share, but then you were just overwhelmed with fear, and you just felt, I don't know quite what to say. And then you paused, and you just said, God, give me the words to speak. Anybody? Anybody? Listen to what Jesus said. When you are brought before their synagogues and rulers and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. Read the following with me. Ready? For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. It's the Holy Spirit. Uh, um, How about this? Um, Ever have the experience where um, something you're reading, you've been reading scriptures and something that's familiar, you'd be reading, reading, and all of a sudden though, this one particular time as you're reading, the Bible somehow jumps out at you and it speaks to you in a way that you never heard before or felt before or read before. Anybody? Guess who that is? Yeah, because this is what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 2.9, as is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. Now read the following with me, ready? These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. See, many of you sitting there going, I don't know, Holy Spirit, do I, like he, he is work in your heart and your life. What about this? Anybody here? Worship gathering, or maybe in your quiet time alone with God, and all of a sudden, the love of God, the unconditional love of God, and what God has done in the gospel just, just overwhelms you. And you just, at that moment, realize God loves me. Anybody? Who do you think does that? Look what Paul says. Romans 8, 14, for those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. Read the following with me. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Do y'all know, man? Do you know that this is one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is that he enables you to see you as God sees you, not as you see you. See, see, I know you resonate with that, right? The challenge for many of us in terms of our spiritual growth is that we know stuff up here about what God says about us in Christ. But the problem is that vast majority of us sitting here right now, we do not see us as God sees us in Christ. We see us as we see us. And that limits spiritual growth and maturity until you and I could see us as God sees us. But who enables us to see us as God sees us? Answer, the Holy Spirit. How many of y'all sitting here this morning need to see us as God sees us?
See, the Holy Spirit, church, is not as mysterious and elusive as some of you think. He's working in your life at this very moment. I think sometimes, I think God is doing like 10,000 things in our lives. We like recognize two. Talk about The Holy Spirit is doing 10,000 things in our lives. The challenge though, and this is the reason why last week, thank you for many of you, they came up and said, yes, you can preach on the Holy Spirit way more often than you do. Thank you very much, okay? I heard you, I heard you. Because the challenge for many of us is we grew up maybe in environments, for some of us, we were turned off because there were abuses in regards to ministry of the Holy Spirit. For many of us, we weren't never taught, we were never given spaces to experience this ministry. So it's failure to recognize and be aware. What's he doing? How is he at work right now in my life? How does, it's recognizing and being aware of his fingerprints. That's key. And one of the ways is that we need to talk about it way more often and give spaces for the spirit to work and for us to be aware of his work. Here's a big, 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 big thesis that we're trying to come around and then that is this, the Christian life is only possible when the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us lives through us this Christian life for us. Can we say this together? Here we go. The Christian life is only possible when the Holy Spirit who lives in us lives through us this life for us. And I love how you led us in that final song. I need thee every what? Actually, I would change that to I need you every second. I need you every second, I need you every minute, I need you every moment by moment. Because they're not a a single thing here. See, this is how much we eat in the evangelical Christian world has has kind of gone off center on this critical message. I know I grew up in the 90s, uh, uh, 80s, I should say, and I went to college in the 90s. And one of these Christian poems that everybody was like, I love that, was a poem called Footprints. Anybody know Footprints? Remember Footprints? Oh, yes. In case you don't know, Google is your friend, okay? Footprints. But the, 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 the Footprints is that, you know, a guy was walking, he noticing footprints in the sand, and then through the hardest times of his life, he noticed that there was only one set of footprints, and he goes, Jesus, where were you during my hardest time? Jesus comes around and says, during those hardest times, that's when I carried you. And I've always said, I think I've said this before, that's nonsense. Why? It's not just when we're desperately in need that we need him to carry us. He carries you every second. If Jesus is your co-pilot, only to pilot when you're in trouble, you'd crash in clear skies. Good Lord. See, that's the challenge is to come around this. Peter, you, I, I really can't like walk out of there and do life without you. You were never intended to. And this is what Jesus said in John 14, 16. He said, I'll ask the Holy Spirit or Father and he'll give you another helper. Why do you need a helper? Because you need help to be with you forever. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Check this out, everybody. Do you know that at the moment of conversion, God, Jesus, and the person of the Holy Spirit comes into your life at that moment. Do you know that? And that if you are a child of God, Holy Spirit right now, right now lives inside of you. So much so that Paul uses strong language when he says in Romans 8, 
if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, the moment of conversion, Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit comes into your life. There are two things that we said real quick about the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to review this morning. You need to check out last week's sermon. We did these two sort of huge theological foundations. One, we said that Holy Spirit is God. He's God. That's why Jesus could say, hey, when the Holy Spirit comes into you, it's like I come into you. When he speaks to you, it's like I speak to you. And he says to disciples, if you have seen me, you've seen God. We talked about the doctrine of Trinity. Secondly, we also said that the Holy Spirit is a person, not an it, not a force, not some, you know, ethereal thing, but he is a person who thinks, acts, feels. And that's important because what we're talking about is a relationship. We're not talking about some, you know, magic sort of, we need help, so come and do, we're talking about a relationship with the real person. And let me give an imagery of what this is like. At the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, you see a picture of man and woman. The Bible says, walk. Walking with God, walking with God in the garden, a picture of deep intimacy. And God's, God's intention from very beginning has been to restore and reconcile that relationship with sinful humanity so that we would once again, check this out, walk with God, walk with God. This is why for the rest of the New Testament, when Bible talks about the Christian life, it talks about it in terms of a walk. Okay, and we saw this last week, Romans 8, 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but walk according to the spirit. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. So Paul from the very get-go says, check this out. Everybody, whether you're Christian or not, you are either walking according to the spirit, which we'll talk a little bit more about today, or you're walking according to the flesh, which we'll talk about next time we gather. Walking according to the flesh is not some deviant sexual thing that somebody's doing in the corner. It's something that every one of us does about just every day. And I'll get to a little bit of what that is towards the end. And Paul says, you and I are either walking according to the spirit or walking according. And the consequences of that, which we'll get to a little bit later today, are enormous. Now, real quick before we jump in. This whole walking according to the spirit, for many of us who are not even aware of the ministry of the spirit, because we've been taught, we've never even experienced it maybe. It could seem like an overwhelming thing. So I take courage in the fact that when I see a little toddler, nobody comes out of the womb and starts walking perfectly, right? I mean, if, if it did, it'd be kind of freaky, actually. <laughs> the, the YouTube viral sensation, like 50 million down. Nobody gets out of the and starts walking. No. I, I, parents, we know when a little child begins to walk, what happens? They take a step or two, boom! Take a step or two, boom, right? And your parents try to encourage. Now, I've never seen a little toddler fall one, once or twice and then boom, and they go, I, I'm just not a good walker. I'm just never going to walk. This is, nobody does that. Walking according to the Spirit is similar. There's going to be starts and stops. There's going to be, I'm doing well here for a little bit. Oh, fall on my face. The challenge is to get yourself back up because grace is available. 
You hear me? So don't walk out here going, oh, man, I can't do that. No, no. Walk out here going, all right, Jesus, you, you and me, not just when I need help, but at all times. Here we go. Galatians 5 is where we are just parked in, okay, for the next two, three Sundays. Galatians 5 is the text, along with Romans 8, by the way, which hopefully down the line I want to preach on uh, Galatians 5. Paul says, so I say, walk by the Spirit. Here's a definition of what it means to walk by the Spirit. We put it up last week. Here we go. Let's read this together. Ready? Walking according to the Spirit is living my life sensitive to and dependent upon the inner promptings and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in such a way that His leading and His leading dominate our entire life. The Christian life. Walking according to the Spirit is living my life sensitive to and dependent upon the inner promptings. We said last week, you could hear God's voice, you know. Jesus said so. Jesus said, you will be able to hear my voice. You could hear the Spirit's voice. But remember what we said, when the Spirit speaks to you about something and you don't follow through and obey. By the way, rigorous honesty. How many of us have heard God's voice or promptings and then just decided not to do it? I shouldn't have asked that. That's discouraging as a pastor. The entire church raises their hand. Okay, fine, fine. Okay, all right. All right. Paul says when we do that, First Thessalonians 1, it quenches the spirit. Quenches the spirit literally is to put out. And what Paul is saying is when you hear God's voice and you don't follow through and obey, it puts the spirit's fire out. What do I mean? Let me make it as clear as possible. It's not that God isn't speaking. I told you, God is doing 10,000 things. But when we hear his voice and we don't obey, when God says, change, stop, move, don't go there, break up with her, break up with him, stay. And we go, no. What happens is our ability to hear his voice gets dulled. Our sensitivity to his promptings gets dulled. It's not that God doesn't love you. It's not that God isn't speaking. God is deafeningly loud, but we quench the spirit. So you better believe that there's a correlation between your ability to hear God's voice and a life of obedience. Listen to the words of Jesus. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And then he says, this, by the way, is right after he introduced the Holy Spirit. I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. This is the reason why you and I will have a difficult time hearing God's voice when there is known unconfessed sin. I'll give you a better analogy. As I said to a fella while having coffee, you can't be sleeping with your girlfriend and hear about God's plans for your future. Oh, 
oh, it feels heavy in here right now. See, you can't, see, I think this is what God does. God says, why are you asking me about things you don't know when you have no intentions of obeying things that you do know? Or, or, it's not that we don't know what to do. It's that we don't do what we know. I know this is uncomfortable for some of us to hear, but I need to say it. You cannot go willy-nilly, do what I want in my life, and yet, God, I need you to speak. There is correlation between a life of obedience and the ability to hear God's voice. I'm going to say it again. This does not mean he doesn't love you. This does not mean he is not for you. This does not mean that he is sometimes when we are mired in sin, God is speaking the loudest. God will never withdraw his love from you. He will never withdraw speaking to you. But our ability to hear God's voice is affected by a life of obedience. Good news? No, 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 I'm going to tell you the good news. Okay, that was good news to you. That's good. That's good. Okay. Good news. You know what the good news is? Good news is, here's this. good news is this. And I, you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed at the clarity of God's voice that comes into your life when you begin to obey. Matter of fact, when there's obedience at that one area you've been struggling with, it's amazing how much breakthroughs occur in other areas of your life. So you see, you know what I'm talking about? When God speaks to you about something and says, obey, obey, and you struggle like, no, obey, obey, no, obey, no. And you obey and submit, you'll be amazed at the kind of clarity that comes in other areas of your life. So is this worth it? And then we talked about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Spiritual breathing. Remember we talked about that? Let's do it together. First we exhale or breathe out and confess, I can't. And then you inhale or breathe in and in faith appropriate, but you can. All day, every day, somehow, I can't handle that temptation. But you can, and you did. Empower me and fill me. I can't be patient with my kids and not lose my temper. But you can. Empower me and fill me. I can't keep saying no to that person, God. I keep giving in. But you can. So fill me and empower me. Breathe out. Breathe in. Spiritual breathing. And I said last week that to discipline yourself during daily offices or two, three times a day, to pause, I can't. And what this does is this, it trains you. If you're a Christian leader, 
you'll find yourself in a situation. Maybe there's not Christian leaders, everybody. We will find ourselves in a situation where we have nothing left to give. And we feel like our gifts and our competencies are not enough. Okay? And you enter into a situation where like, I, there's nothing I can do. And that's exactly what God wants us because, listen to this. The gift of the gap occurs. What is the gift of the gap? There's a gap between what God calls us to do and what we could humanly do. And that gap between what God calls us to do and what we can do, that gap, Holy Spirit fills that gap. Okay? And so when you and I pause and acknowledge, I can't, but you can't, and you pause, you're literally saying, I'm pressing in, leaning into you, God. Fill that gap. Holy Spirit, fill that gap. Christian leaders, anybody in leadership, please pay attention. If you are perfectly competent, able to do all the tasks that God has set before you, it's probably not from God. Because when God calls us to do something, common sense says if it's a God-sized task, our human capacity won't be enough. And so he causes us to lean into this gap and allow the Holy Spirit to fill that gap. And the last one we, think we talked about was his leading and his influence dominating our entire being. And I left you guys with this question last week. I said, do you trust him? Because we're not going to follow God if we don't trust him. You can't follow a God that you are not sure is for you. If you have this sense this morning even that God is against me, God's constantly disappointed in me, God won't accept me, it becomes impossible to courageously follow God like that. So do you trust him that he has your best interest at heart? Do you trust him that you could, you could trust him with your life, that he loves you, he intends the best for you? Do you trust him? Because the extent to which you trust him will be the extent to which you can follow him wherever he leads. Now, why do we spend eight weeks on emotionally healthy spirituality only to talk about the Holy Spirit? Here's why. If you are someone sitting here this morning and you live a hurried, frenetic, can't be alone, can't be silent kind of a life, walking according to the Spirit will be impossible for you. Hear me. If you're right now and you go, I don't know how to be alone. I don't know how to stop. I don't know how to pause. I don't know how to be silent. I don't know how to, listen. By very definition, if you're following somebody, you can't go faster than him. By very definition, you can't go faster than the person you're following. And truth be told, so many of us this morning, who's following who? We got our plans and then boom, I'm running, Jesus. And in the name of lordship, we go kind of, but he, who's following who? This is why if you don't know how to slow down, following the spirit is an impossibility. The other thing, you got to learn to be quiet. <laughs> you got to be, 
look at the life we're talking about. Welcome to the Spirit. That's impossible if you don't know how to be alone and be quiet. Truth be told, the biggest mistakes in my life happened not because I didn't pray enough. Oh, I said plenty. The biggest mistakes in my life happened because I didn't listen. We are great at saying, God, I need this, I need that. Here's my list of 10 things. We are terrible at pausing, slowing down. I'm following you and I'm quiet to listen. And when we do that, it enables us to follow his promptings and be sensitive to his leadings, which leads us to recognize that there are specific kingdom assignments that God has for you that has your name on it, not someone else's name on it. So you live within limits and with boundaries. Not every kingdom assignment has your name on it. Mind your own business. That's why we're so tired, we, not you. That's why we're so tired and living without limits. We think every need has your name on it. It doesn't. Stop it. Yeah, I'm preaching to myself this morning. Why are you living without limits? Why do you live without boundaries? You are not walking according to the spirit. Why? You don't know how to slow down and be quiet. Which by the way, in our culture, it's awfully hard. See, for those of you that uh, want to go, Peter, man, you got to, you preach on this like every day they walk in, I've heard it before. If you heard it before, then do it. Galatians 5, 16. Here I go. Here we go. So I say, and this is where, that was the intro, by the way. Don't worry, I'm not going long today. We have a members meeting. I was told I needed to be early, so I will end early. Galatians 5, 16, we're gonna spend two, three, and I, with this, this is so important, I'm gonna take my time. We're gonna go through just two, three verses a week. Is that okay, church? We're just gonna take our time because we need to follow his leading and grow. Galatians 5, 16, check this out. So I say, walk by the spirit, and Paul says, then you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Thank you. Why do I say that? The goal of the Christian life is not to try and not sin. The goal of the Christian life, listen, it's not, here's a list of things I shouldn't do. And so the focus of my Christian life is, I want to make sure that I don't do these things. Because in the effort and goal to try and not sin, what ultimately becomes our focus? Sin. That was never God's intention for the Christian life. He doesn't say, get up and here's a list of things that you don't want to do. God says the goal of the Christian life is so simple and positive. is to do this one thing that is learned to walk according to the Spirit. And the results of that will be, okay? It's so positive. Does it simplify things for you? It does for me. Because I get up and all of a sudden I'm bombarded with, here's a list of 10 things I need to do. Here's a list of 10 things I don't want to do. Part of it is my Christian upbringing. And I need to discipline and remind myself to do it. No, the Bible says you get up and your entire approach to life is walk according to the spirit. 
follow me. Don't worry about the list. Follow me. And the results of that, what is the result? Look at it. For the flesh desire, such as desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Church, this is so amazing. As you learn to walk according to the Spirit, the outcome of that, and this is huge, the outcome of that will not only be that your behavior will change, but what? Your desires will change. He says, when you walk according to the Spirit, the result of that is not that you're being, but your desires begin to change. Why is that important? Because true sustainable spiritual growth could only happen when you and I found ourselves wanting to do what we should do. Spiritual growth could only happen when you find yourself wanting to do, desiring to do what you should do. Think about it this way. Should is an important word for spiritual growth, but God's plan is not for us to obey him simply because we should. He wants us to obey him because we want to. No relationship could last if it's built solely on should. Think about your marriage. Think about people you love. And you tell them, you know I'm with you? Because I should. Who in their right mind will go, I'll take that. That's great. That's enough, okay? Who in their right mind will do that? Nobody. No relationship could last. Think with me, including God, if our only approach is, I'm going to do that because I should. At some point, God says, don't you want to? Don't you want to? I just talked about this with the guy last week over coffee. Major, major, just lost sexual. And he said, Pastor Peter, I got to tell you, the breakthrough for me came. It wasn't easy. Not when I told myself doing that is bad, doing that is bad, doing that is bad. But when God began to change my desire. If you're growing spiritually, maturing emotionally, we don't just do the right things. We love the right Discipleship, that's just about behavior modification, like some of us in our youth group. That's why it doesn't work. True sustainable change could only come, listen, when our affections are changed. When you and I could say, Jesus, you're enough for me. Better is one day in your courts than what? Than a thousand elsewhere. You're better than any earthly pressure. Do you know that Jesus talked about this all the time? He said, matter of fact, when you come to the kingdom, he said, I want you to come this way. This is what embracing the kingdom is like. Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven, like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, in his joy, think of that as the Christian life, huh? In his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. He says, when people come to know God in the kingdom, they'll say, God is so, I want God, I desire God. Religion says, I have to love God. Gospel says, I get to love God. 
Religion says, change your behavior. Gospel says, change your desire. What's your attitude? I have to love God. I have to serve God. Or I get to love God. Me? I get to serve God. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the what? Desires of your heart. Taste and see. That the, do you realize how much the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is filled with language that says, I want you to want me. I want you to desire me. I want you to because you want to, not because you should. God says, come on, come on, come on. And just like you won't, listen, just like you won't follow you won't, someone you don't trust in the same way, listen, you can't delight in someone that you don't think is for you. You can't delight and take joy in someone that you, is he against me? Does he approve of me? Does he, delighting in God. Delighting in God required. That's why I'm constantly saying, run to the gospel, run to the cross, find forgiveness there, find acceptance there. That's our only source of hope and joy and life. Amen. That right there is where we get the God I want to, I desire to. You're for me. You are for me. You are for me. So run to the cross, find forgiveness, enjoy his acceptance. Then let your heart run wild with God exulting, God-centered desires in this world. What a different way to live, isn't it? What a different way. Instead of the, but now I should do these things and I don't want to do these things and God help me. No, no, no. No, you run to the cross. You run and find acceptance. You run and find your identity in him and insurance of who he is for you. Saying, God, I want you more than anything else. I want you more than anything else. Church, does this even make sense to you? Verse 18, but if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Real quick, some translations, if you are controlled by the Spirit, like NIV, and I am unfortunately uh, not in agreement with that because for some people, they get this erroneous impression that if you are somehow walking according to the Spirit, you reach this super spiritual state. I was taught this, by the way, in college. Somebody said, you'll reach a state where the Holy Spirit will so take control over you that you will not struggle with any more sin. And I was like, Dang, I want that. Because <laughs> the thought of like, you know what I mean? The thought of someone who's so in control of the Holy Spirit, or controlled by the Holy Spirit, he's walking around, temptation, boom, just bouncing out, boom, boom. But I was like, I want, what's that like? And then he, you know, got me down a path of legalism for like six years and I almost gave up on Christianity. Listen, being controlled by the Holy Spirit is an erroneous term. Why? Because you and I never get to a place where we are so filled with the Spirit that we no longer need God. That's totally contrary to what He desires. So when we're talking about lead, we're talking about dependence. We're talking about moment by moment surrender. Not, if I just reach that. What does He mean when He says, if you live by this, you're not under law? Anybody here ever drive differently when you see a police car behind you? 
two people? Stop it. I do all the time. It drives my wife crazy. I've got a lead foot. I admit one of my weaknesses. I've got a lead. It's heavy, you know. It, 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 it just, you know. And when I see a police car behind me, I become the best driver in Illinois. <laughs> 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock. <sighs> right on the sweet living. Let me ask you something. Am I becoming a better driver because my heart changed? I become a better driver. Why? It's called forced compliance. God doesn't want forced compliance. What is forced compliance? It's what Paul talks about here. He says, you could obey the law and still be under the law. How? What's your motivation for obeying? If your motivation for obeying is fear. Fear. In other words, here's obeying the law and still being under the law. If I don't obey, God's going to strike me down. If I don't obey, God's going to punish me. If I don't obey, there goes my reputation. If I don't obey, God's not going to find me my husband or my wife. If I don't obey, if I don't obey. If that's our motivation, Paul says, you are still under law. But if you're led by this spirit, Paul says, you're not under law. Why? Because, listen to this, we don't begrudgingly obey out of fear, but we desire to obey out of love. We desire to obey out of love. If you're led by the Spirit, your motivation isn't fear, which, by the way, is very selfish. Fear. Very, if I do this, my wife will leave me. How selfish can you be? If I do this, there goes my reputation. How selfish can you be? If I do this, then people are not going to help. But when you're led by the Spirit, your motivation won't of fear. Your motivation won't of love. What do I mean? Listen, listen. Your motivation becomes, he did that for me. How could I do that? Look at the infinite cost and price he paid for me. How could I do that to someone who loves me that much? Why would I do that to someone who at an infinite cost for all of eternity said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Being led by the Spirit leads us to obey. Anybody here, you don't have to raise your hand. If anybody here lacks desire for God this morning, listen, and you've been feeling guilty, don't feel guilty. Guilt is a terrible motivator. It doesn't work. If you're lacking desire for God, ask the Holy Spirit to give you the want to. Ask the work of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I don't desire you right now. I don't want you right now. I have no idea what this guy is talking about this morning, this whole want to, desire to. I taste and see that. the Give me the want to. Confess known and unconfessed sin. Do that today. Take care of business with God. And then ask the Holy Spirit. By the way, this is even more important when you and I mess up. Why? If you are under law, this is what your life looks like right now. You have sin that you struggle with, and then you have seasons when you're doing okay, and then there's a cycle where you just get mired in it. And you're just in it. You're just in it. And you do okay for a while, and then you get in it again. You do okay for a while. Why is that vicious cycle happen? Because here's the thing. You're never fully repenting of the sin itself. You know what you're repenting of? You're merely repenting of the consequences of sin. And if you and I are just feeling, listen, there's a pain that we experience when we get caught doing something, right? But that pain is not necessarily pain over the sorrow of our sin. The pain could be pain of getting caught. If we are only repenting for the consequences of our sin and not the sin itself, 
that sin will never lose its power over you. If your only motivation is, look at what I experienced when I get caught, that sin will have a hold on you. The only way to be set free from that is not just to say, God, I feel terrible about the consequences, but God, look at your unconditional love for me. Which when you look at the sin now, how ugly is that? How disgusting is that? Which then leads you to greater self-control. Why? Because his love for you, comparison to the draw of that sin, eventually that sin becomes less and less attractive, which means it becomes less and less powerful. But if your motivation this morning is one of, I'm going to grit and I'm going to pull myself by the strap and I'm going to, uh, you are not dealing with the fundamental desire. Galatians 5.19. Now the deeds of the flesh are obvious. Now, this is where we are introduced to this topic of walking according to the flesh. And the word flesh, by the way, in Greek is not body the physical, but it's a bent. It's an approach. And now, church, let me introduce you finally to what it means to walk according to the flesh. Here it is. Definition. Walking according to the flesh is trusting in my strength and determination to bring about whatever changes I feel need to take place. By retaining control over my life and ultimately giving primary consideration to my needs, my desires, my appetites, and my fears when making decisions. Question, question, question. How many of us are walking according to the flesh? This isn't that sinner in a corner doing some eating. This is you. This is me. What's the result? Then Paul gives, we'll talk about next two weeks, two lists. These are not things to do. You know, we go, fruit of the Spirit is love. I got to be more loving. Fruit of the Spirit is patient. That's not how this works. This is the result, fruit of what happens when you either walk according to the flesh. Here's walking according to the flesh. Eugene Peterson, who in very common layman language, says this is what happens when we walk according to this flesh. You saw the list, and we'll talk specific about some of these next two weeks. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. Frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness. Paranoid loneliness. Cutthroat competition. All-consuming yet never-ending wants. Anybody? Anybody? A brutal temper. Anybody? 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 An impotence to love or be loved. Divided homes and divided lives. Small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions and ugly parodies of community. Can anybody relate to any of these? What about walking according to the Spirit? See, this is not even, it's not even like, well, which life would you choose? I mean, for me, it's like, it's not even, it's not even a, a question. He says, but verse 22, here's what happens when we live God's way. He brings gifts into our lives, things like affection for others. Anybody use that? Exuberance for life. Serenity. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, 
I read that. I was like, I watched Seinfeld growing up. Remember that episode? Serenity Now! If you don't know what the heck that was, Google it. Google is your friend. Serenity Now, Seinfeld. We develop a willingness to stick with things. Can anybody use some of that? Come on, come on. A sense of compassion in the heart. Help me, Lord Jesus. And a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments. Ah, oh, not needing to force our way in life. Able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Can anybody use more of that? Here's the thing. We don't try and direct and try harder to those things. That's not what we try and do. Paul says, that's the result of walking moment by moment with the Spirit. Is that good news? Good Lord, let's, I mean, let's, you know, just check, let's go home if we go. We have to strive to do that, particularly to earn favor with God. God says, no, that's the resultless life of walking according to the Spirit, just like the other list is a resultless life of walking according to the flesh. Now, I want to end with this theory. So why are we not walking according to the Spirit? Because we don't want to be led. Or more specifically, we don't want to be led by anyone other than ourselves. Can you uh, put whatever you're down, just look up for five minutes? I know it's hard sometimes to just, because I need your attention. For some of us, literally the barrier is you, barrier is me. It's not God. Because this life requires that we want to be led. For some of us, it's control. And I'll get to you control freaks in like a few minutes. But for some of us, it's fear. It's fear. It's the whole, what if I'm led by God and he takes me to difficult places, costly places. He says, let go of that. Let go of her. Break up with him. Break up with her. Stay in Chicago. That's the Holy Spirit. Stay in Chicago. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just totally lied. Forgive me, Lord. Can't believe I did that. I just did that, Carlton. I just did that in front of like 300 people. What is wrong with me? God might say, stay in Chicago. You know who you are. Or, 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 God might say, go. But in all seriousness, many of us like our tidy, predictable, comfortable life. And following Jesus may mean costly, sacrificial, difficult, uncomfortable. I've got good news for you. I guarantee that if you follow Jesus, he will take you to costly, difficult, uncomfortable places. Do you know why? Do you know why? He is not committed to your comfort. He is committed to your holiness. And you and I cannot grow spiritually without Costly, difficult, uncomfortable. See, the Holy Spirit is referred to as a comforter. Why would you need a comforter if your life is already comfortable? See, as hate, as much as we hate to admit it, there are some things that could only happen in the emotional, physical, psychological valleys, not the mountaintops. 
where our hearts become the fertile soil that God begins to work. Because it is the same shepherd, Psalm 23, that leads us beside quiet waters, but also says, I will walk with you through the valley of the shadow of death. I said this last week, if your life is very comfortable, you have stopped growing spiritually. Just admit it. Just admit it. Why would God do that to me, Peter? Because he is committed to your holiness, not your comfort. So what does this all mean? One word, and we're done. Surrender. You have a choice. I have a choice. We could either walk according to the flesh, my life, my way, or we could walk according to the spirit. The one decision to walk according to the spirit. What's wrong, Amanda? I know. I know. I know. I know. Your reaction, by the way, it is the Holy Spirit. And that's how anyone who has any spiritual life right now, that's how they should be responding. Literally, just bawling your eyes out and saying, God, you know I don't want to do this. It's so hard. Because if you're sitting there going, don't surrender, you don't get it. You don't get it. I'm serious. Sorry to be harsh this morning. You don't get it. Because here's what surrender is. It's not just having Jesus on the passenger seat when you need his help. I need some help in my work. Come help me. I'm having a little impatient with my children. Come, No, this is about if Jesus is in the driver's seat, you're not in charge of a wallet anymore. Do you know what that means? It's not your money. That means you don't give when you feel like it. You don't give when it's comfortable. You don't give when you know I have. No, it's his money. What does that mean? If Jesus is driving, that's not your mouth anymore. It's his mouth, which means you don't get to gossip, slander, lie, manipulate. Also, if it's, if he's in the driver's seat, we're not in control of our future anymore. 20, 30-somethings, here's the best advice for you. Give me like 30 seconds. You ready? Stop asking for God's will for your life. You know why? I got clarity about my future when I stopped asking about my future and simply pray this prayer. Use my life as a living sacrifice in any way you want. I live my life and offer my life as a living sacrifice for the purpose of your will here on earth. Remove from me anything that's against your will. Fill me, send me, and use me. Because many of us are using the, what's your will for my life as a selfish, self-centered God, I care about my life and not yours. And you're, do you know what that means? That means that God is more concerned about you following his will, listen, in the next 10 minutes and not next year. Your ability to follow God for next year is ultimately determined on how well you follow him now. So for those of God's future, God says, here's what it looks like. For the next 10 minutes, follow me. Next 10 minutes, follow me. Next 10 minutes, follow me. And before you know it, this was your will for my life two years from now.
Would you over my tent? And if you're sitting there going, but I'm just a planning type, Peter. I'm just, you know, I just need to. Please, child. Come on, come on, come on. I'm just a planning type. Is that why you didn't give God a second thought before you decided to date that person? You didn't give God a second thought before you to purchase that house? You didn't give God a second thought before you purchased that car? Second thought before you married that person? Because you're the planning type or honestly because you're in the driver's seat and he's coming along for the ride. Discovering God's will is 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. Why? Because if it's about 10-year plan, it becomes about the plan and not the heart. And God says, seek me and you'll know him. CC, come on up. Two things about surrender. One, I'm going to challenge you because I gave you the, and then we're done. One is, I learned from my AA friends that surrender is a continuous thing, not a once-a-life thing. See, most of us go, I surrendered my life to Jesus when I accepted him as my Lord and Savior when I was five years old. <laughs> and then after that, I've been living my life my way. I know. Surrender. I love that passage in Romans 12 when Paul says, therefore, offer your life as living sacrifices. Here's the thing, you guys. If you put a dead animal on an altar and you light the fire, animal stays. But what happens when you put a living animal on an altar and light a fire? That sucker is going to want to crawl right off of that. Paul intentionally says you're a living sacrifice, meaning volitionally get yourself back on the altar Secondly, surrender is not, I surrender all. I, that's great in worship. Surrender is not, I have good intentions. Surrender is actually action. It's doing something. I learned this from my AA friends. Good intentions amounted nothing when it comes to this thing. That's why Jesus always was like, woman caught in the altar. I don't condemn you. But he says, go and sin no more. Do something about it. This is the reason why for some of us, surrender will hit the target of money. Why? Money is all about control and security for many of us. For some of us, it's going to be surrender means act of self-disclosure about your anger, about your addiction, about your sin. To which you go, but Peter, that will be so hard. If it wasn't hard, it wouldn't be surrender. Surrender. It's that picture of Annette going, I want to do this. See, the amazing thing to me is that the person who 
gave this to us knows the pain of surrender. Come on, don't tune me out yet. Jesus, on the night before he's to be crucified, says what? Let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. What does this look like for you today? What does this mean? Todd, if you can come on up, please. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand up here a few, a little bit like on the second or third row because I want to give access to some of you, please, some of you. The very first act of surrender might mean you come, get the elements, you walk past us through this temporary stage and there's tons of room up here. It's one of the things I love about this building right now. Please be alone and do some business with God. Not just get the elements and wrestle with him. Think about your Savior at that night in Gethsemane. I don't want to do this. But not my will, but yours be done. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body that is broken for you. Take it in remembrance of me. He took the cup and he said, this cup, it's a cup of the new covenant, the blood that is shed, the blood that cleanses us from all sin, enables us to enter his throne room of grace with confidence and joy. The bread and the wine remind you and me that we have a Savior who is for you. He is for you. You can trust him. So when you're ready, come on up. And after you take the elements, you spend some time with the Lord. Back to your seats. Prayer team, if I could have you guys stationed in the back in your usual spot so you could be praying with and for folks who need prayer. Come on up. The Lord invites you. There are a number of folks up front, and I believe there are a number of you out there who need to be up front before you go home. Take advantage of this time. You hear the Spirit's prompting to obey, follow through. We are not in control. We are not in control of anything, God as much as we want to desperately believe we are not. That begins with acknowledging that everything that we have comes from you. Everything that we have has been given by you. Everything that we have is yours. 
that includes what we're about to give. This isn't us giving a portion of our belongings to you. This is us giving back to you what rightfully belongs to you. So we do it gratefully. We do it joyfully. We do it willingly. Use it for the advancement of your kingdom work here and beyond in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit.